0: all right let's stand together please if you would first Timothy chapter 6 and we're gonna read verses 6 through 12 in just a moment you know and while we're reading there's a difference between having to say something and having something to say and uh, honestly today I, I was brought here to preach a sermon so that that means I have to say something and quite honestly that makes me a little nervous I don't always get nervous preaching, but I do in settings like this. You hear some of the best preachers in the country and around the world on a regular basis, so it makes me nervous. And I don't want to be the illustration of somebody's homiletical, hey, don't do that, okay? I don't want to do that. So it gets me a little nervous. But this morning, I don't just have to say something, I have something to say. And I'm doing something that really I have never done before. Uh, And what I'm doing is I'm I'm preaching a sermon that I, I, Prepared just for this event. Usually I preach something that has been proven. So if this falls on its face, I'm just trying to obey the Lord. Uh, but I want to share something with you and I want you to see it. Look at verse 6 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us th- be therewith content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou also art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I want you to notice something this morning. Look at verse 11. O man of God. I want to speak on that, that subject this morning. O man of God. And I'm gonna use that phrase interchangeably. I will primarily speak to the young men who have surrendered to ministry here this morning. Uh, But of course, I'm using that interchangeably. I would be speaking to the ladies and we'll use it in a generic sense. But I wanna talk to you about that subject, the man of God. And I want you to see what this text says about it, okay? Heavenly Father, fill me with thy spirit, calm my nerves, help me to communicate your truth. I pray that you'd use me a tool in your hand to encourage and help somebody today. And I pray that you would just uh, meet with us this morning in this hour. Do a work, an internal work, uh, maybe that we won't see for years to come. But I pray that you would do something this morning. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Recently I was reading a book, I, th- I think it's important to read, I know uh, Dr. R, I love getting together with Dr. R, he always gives me something good to read, and, and I do like to read and read quite a bit, and I was reading a book on pastoring because I've been a pastor now uh, for 17 years, I started pastoring when I was 27 years old, and I've been a pastor for 17 years, but I'm going to fill you in on something, I haven't figured it all out yet, and in fact as great of a place as this is, I, I don't want to be offensive in any way, but Bible college can't prepare you for everything. There are so many things that Bible college, and I got good training, that, that didn't prepare me for. I, I mean, man, I, I tell you, I, I was totally unprepared our church started growing and going through a building project. I had no class on that kind of stuff. I had no class on how to deal with banks and, and these kind of things. I, I remember uh, we were our church was growing, we were going out soul winning, and this lady, we reached her through door-to-door visitation, and she came to church, and... Uh, man, she would sit up in our balcony and she had a kid and, and her kid had some discipline issues and some other issues. And I'm telling you, he would just like run around and yell in the balcony the whole time you're preaching. And it, it was just, uh, but she started growing and, and, and things started getting better. And I remember she came and she said, pastor, I need some counseling. And I thought, okay, well, I've had a class on counseling. And so I set up an appointment like you're supposed to do, and I made sure everything was appropriate. My secretary was, was in, in the other room adjacent, and the, uh, the, the window was the way it was supposed to be. And I, I had my legal pad and my pen, and I had my Bible, because they tell you, you know, we're in new biblical counseling. You got to have your Bible open, because the Bible is the basis of the counsel you're going to give. And then I was ready, and I said, okay, well, what's your, you know, what, what, what you're struggling with? She said, I hate my husband. Oh, Okay and we can deal with that. I said, well, so what's going on? She said, I tried to kill him. I put poison in his food. <laughs> Dr. R I had Jay Adams' book under the desk. Then this is not in here. They didn't talk to me about this in that class. Uh, uh, the, the best thing that I could come up with was don't do that. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, as great of a place as you're at, it's not going to prepare you for everything that's going to hit you in the ministry. So I was reading this book on pastoring, and there was a chapter in this book on being a man of God. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit used that in my life to challenge me to be a better man of God. Did you know that expression is found over 70 times in the Old Testament? I want you to think about it this morning. Men like Moses were called the man of God. Elijah was called the man of God. Elisha, his protégé was called the man of God. David was called a man of God. Man, you understand what I'm saying this morning is this is a, an impressive title that was passed on some of the greatest characters in all of the word of God, but it's only used two times in the New Testament. And both of those times it's found in the pastoral epistles. It is found in 2 Timothy 3.17. You, you remember that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. What? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What? That the man of God may be perfect, mature, complete, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He uses it in a generic sense, and the man of God needs to be equipped with the Word of God. And he gives us some insight on what a man of God is. But then he, in this particular letter to Timothy, his protege, he uses it right here in the text that we read. He attempts to encourage this young man and equip this young man for ministry, and he calls him a man of God. What exactly does that title mean? I think you could say it this way. We could just simply put it this way. It's God's man. Oh, well, we use that definite article, the man of God, and it has kind of this, this aura about it, the man of God, you know, those kind of things. And, and, and quite honestly, I, I want to be practical and simple. I mean, after all, my name's Michael Jones. It's plain. I get nervous when people call me Reverend. But simply put, if you want to say the man of God, it's just God's man. Think about this morning. If you have surrendered the call to ministry and you would say, I'm I'm trying and striving to be a man of God, I want to be God's man. Understand this morning, it's not a man who belongs to the world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I don't belong to this world. I I don't belong in this world. I'm in this world, but I am not of this world. Listen, I'm not the world's man. I'm God's man. I want you to understand, I'm, I, I'm, that means I, I don't belong to the culture. Because I appreciate all of the stuff, that uh, good books that are being written, and we're engaged in a battle in our culture, and I'm trying to equip the parents of our church to deal with some of the issues of our culture. Again, I'm just telling you, I am not a product of this culture. I am not the culture's man. I am God's man. And I'll just take it a step further. I'm not the church's man either. I'm God's man. Are you God's man? Do you want to be God's man? I want to expand this title a little bit. Let's let's get a little bit more specific than just God's man. It's a person who is uniquely called to proclaim the word of God. That's the context in which he's talking in 2 Timothy, and it seems to be the context in which he's talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy here. It's, It's, again, somebody who is uniquely called to proclaim the word of God. Can I tell you this morning, and I am trying to push the amen button a little bit here, I'm glad that God called me to preach. I was 17 years old when God called me to preach. I wasn't sitting in a youth conference service, I, I, I wasn't uh, uh, pressured or anything like that. I, I just was, uh, I was halfway through my senior year, and it was at the time of the year where everybody was asking, what are you going to do with your life, what are you going to do? I was going to go to the University of Cincinnati, that's where I grew up, I was going to study computers and live the American dream, that's what my dad did. He was a faithful man in church, I wanted to be faithful in church, I, I thought it was a good, good salary, good field, uh, I felt like all of that was working in place, but every time I would tell somebody, I'm going to go to the University of Cincinnati and here's what I'm going to study. I, I felt that there was something in my heart that said, Why don't you preach? It took me months to surrender that. Not because I was rebelling against God. Not because I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. No, 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 something inside of my heart said I want to do what God wants me to do. But I had been grown up in church all my life. I had been to youth conferences. I have been to youth camps. I had seen platforms filled with people who said that they were going to serve God with their life. And they testified and they filled out cards and they did all that. And they did nothing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I did not want to be another casualty like that. I said if I'm going to do it, I want to do it. I finally surrendered to God, decided to preach. My pastor gave me an opportunity, it was a crazy thing. Two weeks after I surrendered to preach and made it public in my church, I was preaching on a Sunday morning in a local church in the Cincinnati area. It was crazy. I could tell you more about that. They should have never let me up there with that Bible preaching to anybody. But I was preaching and I tried my best. And I remember I would get by my bed and I would kneel there and I would pray this. I would say, God, help me to be a yelling preacher. You say, why'd you want to be a yelling preacher? I like preachers who yelled. Why? It keeps you awake. Amen. I-, I loved the energy that some of these guys brought, and I said, how do you do that? I mean, Brother Bird, how, how do you get up there and do that? And, and I remember, it, 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 after a while, I started yelling, and I've been yelling at people ever since. <laughs> I remember when God called me to preach, our church ran about a thousand people. My pastor would let me preach sometimes. I don't know why he would do that. I mean, 17, 18, 19 years of age, he'd let me preach in the service. And we would sit down on the front, and I was thinking about that when you had me sit here instead of come up here, because I had three big fears when God called me to preach. Can I I'll just be plain with you? My first fear was that my zipper would be down. <laughs> I was terrified of that. You say, why? I've seen it happen. I've grown up in church all my life. I've I've literally seen a pastor and he was like, oh no, oh oh, poor guy. And then when he finally figured it out, he just turned around blushed red and walked off the platform. Literally, it happened in a church. So I check it about 4,000 times every time I. The other thing I was terrified of is falling up the steps. That's a horrible way to start a sermon. And I was kept looking at those steps, Dr. Arn and oh, man, and after all these years and all the sermons I preach, I'm still scared about that. <laughs> but on a more serious note, and those are legitimate concerns I had, on a more serious note, my pastor pastored the same church for over 35 years, and I thought, how do, how do you preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? What, what's gonna happen? I'm going to, I knew how hard it was for me as a teenager to prepare a sermon. I thought, what am I gonna do after all those years? Uh, how do you preach that much stuff? But you know what I, I, I soon learned and I was soon taught? You know, if you preach your ideas and you preach your stories and you preach your tales and you preach your philosophy, you'll run out of stuff. You preach the word, as Paul told Timothy, you'll never run out of anything to preach. Preach the word. There are too many people that are preaching from the word or preaching about the word instead of preaching the word. And I'm just simply testifying this morning, if I can infuse a little bit of of zeal to stoke your fire just a little bit, if God has called you to preach, let me tell you something, that is a great and wonderful calling that he has placed on your life. Timothy was in the long line of people dating all the way back to Moses, who were called the man of God, and I'm glad I can say, so are we. And that is a serious responsibility, by the way. That's why Paul said, rightly dividing the word of truth. I was reading a book on preaching, Dr. R., and the author said this, I would not want to be sitting in the service and and, and imagine in my mind that the Apostle Paul was sitting out there and hear him stand up and say, that's not what I meant when I wrote that. It's a serious responsibility to handle and hold the word of God. I want you to see here this morning, I want to give you the sermon as quickly as I can, three distinguishing marks of a man of God. And the truth is, is this outline is found in just about every commentator you can read because it's so obvious right here in the text. I've got to hurry. Number one, a man of God is known by what he flees from. Look at what it says there, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Now when I see that, a man of God flee these things, that's about the last thing I would expect a man of God to do. When I hear a man of God, I hear somebody that's bold. Man, I, I, I see... Moses standing there going, hey, i tell you what, if you're on my side, get over here. If you're on their side, get over there, and the earth is going to open up and swallow you. That's what I think about of a man of God. I think of Elijah being on Mount Carmel, the Super Bowl of of, of gods, and he he stands up and he says, man, if our God be God, let fire fall from heaven, and he was brave. I see David running into the valley with a a slingshot against Goliath. I, I don't see these men fleeing and running away. But I want you to know this morning, there are times when running away, yes, can be a mark of cowardice. But there are other times when it is a mark of wisdom. See, if you're going to be a man of God, you've got to be a fleeing man. See, the context that Paul is giving here is he's contrasting the man of God with those who were consumed with the love of money. Do you remember how it started out? Godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on and gives that famous verse, the the love of money is the root of all evil, and he's talking about those kind of things. What he's saying here is he's saying that there is some things that you need to get away from, and he's dealing with materialism in this particular passage. He says, run away from that. You you understand, there is always going to be, and I'm sure there's some sitting in this room this morning. There is always going to be a Balaam, a Balaam who can be bought by the highest bidder. But a man of God says, I'm not up for sale. Listen, there's sitting in this very room, I'm sure of it, there's got to be a Judas sitting in this room that will sell out for 30 pieces of silver. But a real man of God says, I can't be bought. And I won't be bought. Paul says you cannot be God's man and money's man at the same time. There's some other things we need to flee from. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says flee fornication. It doesn't say fight it. It says get away from it great example of that in the Old Testament is Joseph. Remember, he, he's being entrapped and ensnared, and, 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 and Potiphar's wife's got her clutches on him, and he comes right out of his coat. I'll, I'll never forget a preacher I heard said, he lost his coat, but he kept his character. Amen. What did he do? He got away from it. Mm-hmm. He fled it. Amen. See, a man of God's a fleeing man. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul ad- admonishes us this, and he says, flee from idolatry. Oh, friend, we, we get that so backwards sometimes. We think, oh, well, I don't bow down to idols. And we, we got, we've got to understand that false ideas about God is idolatry. There are other things that we can place, put in place of God that we call idolatry. And I'm just telling you what I see out of a lot of younger generation folks is this. Some would rather have a clever mind than they would a, a holy life. And friend, I'm telling you, that's idolatry. So what are you talking about? Okay, let me put it this way: Some people would have would rather have a, a persona of coolness than they would a a, a persona of Christ likeness. So don't get me wrong. I, I don't. I, I would hope that for a forty-five-year-old guy, I'm, I'm sort of cool. My, my kids would tell you otherwise. No, Dad, just stop. Don't even try. But I, I'm telling you, this is I'm bearing my heart with you. Too too many young guys are trying to be cool and trying to be accepted instead of trying to be like Jesus Christ. Paul says, get away from that stuff. Here's the admonition I'm giving you this morning. Spend your life running from the things that can and will corrupt you. That's what Paul is saying here. A man of God is a fleeing man. He spends his life running from the things that can and will corrupt you. And listen to me this morning. Material things can corrupt you. Did you see what the verse said? It says, because of the love of money, many people have departed from the faith. Yeah. I'll just testify this morning. I still remember, I remember in Bible college, I was 19 years old the first time I heard Paul Chapel preach. And I still remember what he preached. He, he preached a sermon called Removing the Stones from the Heaps of the Rubbish. I remember it. And we were in that old tent out in the parking lot there, Dr. R. And I, I remember they had this makeshift off altar, wooden stairs kind of like this. And I still remember, I still remember kneeling at that altar and praying and the decision that I made that day. I still remember it. And I was asking God if, if I would ever fail him, if I ever failed him and I ever turned from the doctrine of, 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 the, of the true fundamental doctrine of the faith, I would want him. To strike me dead that's what I prayed that day too many people have sold out their soul get away from that Amen. being in the ministry is not having a nice house and a fancy watch and a fine car and, I, and I'm not against any of those things but I'm telling you if in your heart you know that you're susceptible to those things affecting your walk with God run away from it as fast as you can Lust, I need not get into all of it this morning, but we know that pornography is a scourge on our society yep. and is affecting so many of our young people, so many of the people in our churches, so many people in our ministry, so many people sitting right in this room. Run as fast as you can. Amen. And I'm telling you, listen to me, guys. Listen to me. Bad ideas can corrupt you. I need to hurry. Number two, a man of God is known by what he follows after. Look at what he says there. He says, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. You see, he's saying while we're running from corrupting influences, we should be running towards spiritual virtues we basically could break down Paul's list in verse 11 and talk about each one of these things. I'm certainly not going to do that in this context today, but basically what we could just say this is Christ-likeness." Robert Murray McShane said this, "It is not great talents that God blesses, as it is great likeness to Jesus." Can I just encourage you this morning, listen, I know that Bible college is a busy time of life. I was involved in ministries when I was in Bible college. I heavily involved in bus ministry, heavily involved in prison ministry. I did uh, teen Bible clubs. I, I was involved in a lot of things. I ended up teaching a Sunday school class while I was in Bible college. Did a lot of ministry things. And I'm thankful for the practical side of ministry that I received there. I also took my studies very seriously. I also, like many of you, had to pay my bills. I, I, I understand there's a lot of things going on, but listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This should be a serious time in your life where you are learning how to walk with God. One of my dearest friends in the ministry, I graduated in the same class with me. He texted me early this morning and said, I'm praying for you today. I remember seeing him getting up at the crack of dawn so he could spend time with God. a friend, if you're not learning how to pray, Right now, you're missing it. If you're so focused on passing a class that you're not getting to know Jesus, you're missing it. Ian Bounds said, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And I'm warning you, you will not be more like Jesus just because you're in the ministry. That's right. Read the Old Testament. You will find that there were some Old Testament, Testament priests that had calloused hearts to the holy things, and they were just doing their job. There's nothing wrong with doing your duty. There are many things about my work that I have to do my job. I'm telling you, I I, I fear sometimes. I was just challenging our staff. Just yesterday morning, I was telling them, listen, let's not get so busy doing things for Jesus that we stop doing things with Jesus. I'm telling you this morning, positional holiness has been preached and it should be preached. I'm about to get a little happy and I know I need to come in for a landing here. Uh, But but listen, I, I got saved 38 years ago. And you're like, man, dude, you are so old. I know it. I'm not measuring my salvation in years any longer. I'm measuring it in decades. And I'm t- I can tell you, Brother Weaver, I can tell you this this morning, that I still get excited about being saved. I got saved in, in the early 80s, and the, the pastor that was preaching, I, probably nobody in this room's ever heard of him. He was an evangelist by the name of Don Short, and he wasn't short. He was six foot six tall, and this was in the 80s, and so he permed his hair, so he had another two inches. He, he was so tall, I, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. He was a great preacher, a great storyteller, and he preached on hell, and I got saved. I'll never forget Don Short. I, I was just mesmerized by him, big old tall guy. I remember time I was standing by him. Somebody came up to me. I guess this is what you ask tall people. They probably ask you this all the time. They said, "Brother Short, did you play basketball?" And he was tired of hearing that, and so he would look at him and say, "Do you play miniature golf?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "That guy's cool." <laughs> I heard the gospel and I got saved. And I didn't understand things like you're learning about when I got saved. I was just a boy. I was almost seven years old. I, I was just a little boy and I didn't understand things like just the doctrine of justification, but oh, I understand it now. I understand in the courtroom of heaven, God has looked at me and because I am in Christ, I died in Christ. I was buried in Christ. I rose in Christ. Because of that, God's gavel came down and he declares me righteous in his standing. And I, man, I tell you that's an exciting doctrine and you get a hold of that doctrine and you won't be confused About, can you be saved and lose your salvation? Oh no, you understand that positionally, I have been declared righteous and I'm born again and I've been regenerated and I'm safe and secure in Christ and I'm saved. And I ought to give you something to shout about and get happy about. One time I was getting ready to preach, I was sitting down on the front and I was kind of looking over my notes. A guy walked past me and he he just kind of stopped and he came and he said, Hey man, are you saved? I said, Yes, sir, I am. He said, Then tell your face. Hey, some of you this morning ought to tell your face. It's okay to get happy about being saved. And I heard one camp meeting preacher said this, if you can't get excited about being saved, at least get excited that I'm saved. The point I'm trying to make is this. I understand about positional sanctification. It's a wonderful thing. But practical and personal holiness in far too many ministries, it's just absolutely been abandoned. Personal holiness means we are becoming what God has declared us to be in position. And again, uh, do not confuse the order. I get saved and then I strive to be what I've been declared by God to be. You see, if I, if I don't work from righteousness, and I start working for righteousness, that's what we call legalism. And of course, that's a problem. But what I'm talking to is that hopefully I'm talking to some men and women of God here. And if I were to say, well, does a man of God, should they be godly? That's kind of a dumb question. Come on, we got some educators in this room. You ever heard a teacher say, there are no dumb questions. That's not true. There's a lot of dumb questions. Does a man of God need to be godly? That's a dumb question. That's like asking, does a brain surgeon need to be intelligent? I mean, should, Pastor Jones, do you think an author should be literate? Should a man of God be godly? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, true and genuine piety is necessary as the first indispensable requisite. Whatever call a man may pretend to have, if he has not been called to holiness, he certainly has not been called to the ministry. That's what Spurgeon said. Now, I read lectures to my students, and I stopped reading it, Dr. R., when he said that a man of God, if he's called, will have a barreled chest. <laughs> I looked at my bird chest, and I put that book up. I didn't finish reading lectures to my students, but I agree with this statement. Listen to me, guys. If you are not a great preacher, but you are godly, people will listen to you. They will find you interesting because you walk with God. I remember in Bible college, great preacher of yesteryear, some of you might not even be familiar with this name, a man named Lee Robertson. God used him to build a a mighty church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I remember he came and the president of our college allowed preacher boys to come by and talk to him. And he was sitting in a chair like this up on the platform, Brother Bert, and I, I came up with him. I don't know if people still do this or not, but it was kind of a thing to get preachers to sign your Bible. The other day, I was looking at my old Bible from college, all these signatures from all these great preachers, many of them in heaven now. I remember I came up and had him sign my Bible, and I, I knelt down by the chair next to him like this. and It was probably presumptuous. I probably shouldn't have done it because there was another long line of, of kids coming, but I just said, Doctor, Dr. Robertson, would you pray for me? I want God to use me. Would you pray for me? And I remember he put, he put his arm around me, and some of you will remember he had those old arthritic fingers and he, he's an older man and he put his arm around me and he prayed. And he didn't pray long. I mean, there were other people waiting. He just prayed for a few seconds. But I was sitting there and, and I'm telling you, I, I'm not trying to be hooky spooky here. But I could sense the, I thought, man, this, this guy has walked with God this morning. This man has spent time with God Almighty. He's praying for me. Do not minimize the importance of personal holiness and godliness. Paul says, You follow after these things. Righteousness, godliness. You follow hard after them. Os Guinness quoted a Japanese business, businessman who said to him one time, whenever I meet a Buddhist leader, I meet a holy man. But whenever I meet a Christian leader, I meet a manager. To me, that's a gut punch. Can I tell you something? Please listen to a gray headed guy this morning. If God's given you the gift of administration, that's wonderful. Dr. Chapel has the gift of administration. It's impressive. I hope God's given me some gifts of administration, but the truth of the matter is God doesn't need another slick manager. Did you hear me? Amen. Too many pastors are just becoming CEOs. God doesn't need another manager. That's right. And God doesn't need another entertainer. He needs more men and women who want to know him. And I, I, I'll tell you, if I've done nothing else this morning but to fly all this way out here to stir one young man, to stir you up. saying oh i want to know god more i want something to burn in my breast i want to know god more than i know him today i want to know more of him because if i know more of him i can be more like him i prayed stirred up in just one just one today because a real man of god is known for what he follows after let me give you this and i'm done A man of God is known by what he fights for. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. I'll tell you, we started off by fleeing, but I will remind you that every faithful preacher is a fighter. So I'm a gristled veteran by now. I'm a middle aged man. I've got some things under my belt. And like any other pastor who's served for a considerable amount of time, we've all got war stories. I don't know. If I had time to sit down with you, I could tell you and show you some scars. Things that have happened that have hurt me. Battle wounds. I could tell you some crazy stories. That really happened. Oh, that happened. I could tell you some stories. But you know what else I could tell you? I could tell you of great victories. Let me just tell you what God has done. How God won this and how we took that hill, how that person got saved and their life was changed, and, man, how God did this in our church, and, man, I can tell you war stories of battles and victories. And I just remind you again that Nehemiah, he had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, and as Jesus taught us, he was building and battling. I just listened to that sermon here recently that Curtis Hudson preached on building and battling. I needed it. It was... It was helpful to me. I just want to say this as I'm coming in for a landing. It's sad when Christians spend so much of their time fighting that they have no time to build. I'm not trying to be like a compromiser here today. But I'm I'm old enough that my generation is kind of stuck in the middle of all this stuff. I'm old enough that technology is not that big of a deal to me like it is to some of you. But I'm young enough to where I'm not freaked out about it like some of the really old people. But I'll tell you what bothers me more than just about anything are all these Twitter wars. Stop all this junk. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you see what they posted and this and that? And man, you need to build a social media presence. Man, that's not the fight I need to fight. So many people out here just fighting, they don't have time to build anything. But I want to take it a step further. If we don't fight, what we have built will be taken away from us. So I guess I'm just trying to remind you of, of something I hope you're being taught here, and I believe that you are, because I believe uh, this place has a good balance to it. Listen, there are some hills, don't, don't miss this, there are some hills that are worth dying on. And I hope you know what those hills are. There's too many people say, well, that's a non-essential, when, when sometimes it is. And there's some people that, that, that want to fight and claw and carry on about all kinds of things that, that aren't. And, and it's, sometimes that's why you need discernment, because you need to know, what is something I need to fight for? Because there are some hills worth dying on, and there are some hills that's not worth dying on. But I will say this, really the fight, I think the greatest fight is fleeing corruption and following after God. That's, that's a constant battle constant fight i hope i've helped you today i like to ask some questions anytime i preach i like to ask questions because i think questions stir our conscience and make us think a little bit and help us apply what we've heard because we're not supposed to just be hearers of the word we're supposed to be doers of the word so here's a question for you what are you known for a man of god should be known for some things what are you known for you known for being a really good basketball player you known for having a cool car you known for having designer clothes you known for being the prettiest girl on campus what are you known for i hope somebody would say i want to be known as God's man. Well, we can define that. Do you run from things that can and will easily corrupt you? You know, the truth of the matter is in this invitation time, some of us need to fall on our face and say, God, help me. Help me to run. To run like the wind from things like materialism and bad ideas and philosophies. Lust and passions. Are you taking time? Here's my second question. Are you taking time to be holy? There's an old hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. You know why we sing that sometimes? Because it does take time to be holy. And you should be developing that right, right here in these good days. Are you learning right now how to walk with God? I was just challenging one of my teenage daughters. Please learn how to pray right now. Learn how to pray when you're 15, 16, 17 years of age. Learn how to walk with God. Number three, what are you willing to fight for? I guess I could say it this way. Are you developing convictions? Because it was a good day when I realized I could not ride on the apron strings of my mama. And I could not ride on the coattails of my dad. I had to have some convictions because a man of God is known for what he'll fight for.